instrumentalist. We are grateful. Uh, uh, if you've not met Dr. Morgan, you need to. He is a blessing to us on a weekly basis. We're so grateful for his work here and at William Carey. Uh, Dr. Wes Dykes, our minister of music, is away today with the Combined Worship Choir of William Carey. And so are many of our students that normally make up and comprise our orchestra. So be praying for them as they are leading elsewhere. I invite your attention this morning to Acts chapter 16. If you would open your Bible to Acts chapter 16. We continue in our chronological study of Scripture, and we've moved beyond the Gospels, and we've moved into this era of the church age. And as we look at the the growing uh, embryonic church, as we see it develop and grow, because the disciples knew beyond a shadow of a doubt Jesus was alive, they were willing to risk life and limb to say, you can do whatever you want. You can imprison us, but we've seen him. You can beat us, you can flog us, but we've spoken with him. Jesus is alive. And because of that bodily resurrection that we talked about last week, we now move forward into a missionary age as Paul and Silas and Barnabas and Peter and others begin to spread the gospel around the known world. In the middle of that, they find themselves in trouble from time to time. And today is one of those unique passages. But we'll see that God prepares trouble for a testimony. God uses times of testing for a greater purpose. And that's exactly what happens here in Acts chapter 16. We're going to begin in verse 25. Follow along with me if you will. And in fact, I'm going to ask you to do something. Would you stand with me in honor of the reading of the Word of God? This is the word of God in our hearing. Around midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening. Suddenly, there was a massive earthquake, and the prison was shaken to its foundations. All the doors immediately flew open, and the chains of every prisoner fell off. The jailer woke up to see the prison doors wide open. He assumed the prisoners had escaped, so he drew his sword to kill himself. But Paul shouted to him, stop, don't kill yourself, we are all here. The jailer called for lights and ran to the dungeon and fell down trembling before Paul and Silas. And then he brought them out and asked, sirs, what must I do to be saved? They replied, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved along with everyone in your household. And they shared the word of the Lord with him and with all who lived in his household. Even at that hour of the night, the jailer cared for them and washed their wounds. Then he and everyone in the household were immediately baptized. He brought them into his house and set a meal before them. And he and his entire household rejoiced because they all believed in God. Let's pray together. Lord, what an awesome passage of Scripture you have placed before us. Father, this text needs you to preach it to us. We need to hear from you this morning, Lord Jesus. Speak to us. Convince us of your love. Convict us of our sin. Father, we, your servants, are listening. Use this passage in our lives even now, in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. May God add blessing to the reading of his word. 
in the darkest hour, we see Paul and we see Silas praising and praying. They were set free. The prison doors were opened and their chains fell. God moved. Let me ask you this. Have you ever been in a place where God moved? Anybody be willing to give a little testimony by raising of their hand? You ever seen God work? Have you ever been in that place? You say, where, preacher, what place? I mean, anywhere. Maybe it was in a prison cell. Maybe it was in a revival. Perhaps it was in your home or in a hospital waiting room. Somewhere in your life, have you ever seen God move? They did. They saw God move in an incredible way. The Bible says that there was an earthquake and the prison doors were open. God did that. There was something amazing. It was, an ex, it was such an experience that there's no other explanation except God did this. God opened the doors. God broke the chains. Nothing else would do. Nothing else would satisfy for explanation's sake what they've just experienced. It's midnight. In the darkness of the night, down in a dungeon, they're praising God. And as they do, a violent earthquake comes. The other prisoners are listening to them, and God showed up. I, I can give personal testimony. I've been there. I've seen, not in prison where an earthquake came, but I've seen God move. 1996, we had our second child, Haley. She had uh, a, a very, very serious uh, case of meningitis and we began to pray and we began to cry out she was in children's hospital in New Orleans and we were longing for God to do something and we began to spread the word to as many people as we possibly could and the doctors came in the very next morning scratching their heads and they said we don't understand we don't know what happened every single slide that we were growing out yesterday and seeing is completely clear and clean today God healed her and we knew God did that we saw it 1998, I was in Panama City Beach, Florida. I was preaching a youth revival for Oakland Baptist Church. I knew something was going to happen on Tuesday night. Every single time I'd come to the text to prepare to preach, I was preaching on the seven sons of Sceva in Acts chapter 19, and I was preaching on hell, and I just was so burdened about preaching that passage, and I, there's no other way to say it, I preached my guts out. I gave everything that I had, and I gave an invitation, and those students stared at me. Nobody moved. I began to weep. I was like, Lord, I've, I've missed something somewhere. Not only did they not move to the front, they didn't move out. Soon they all began to weep. Before that night was over, 23 students had trusted Jesus Christ. We stayed in that worship center from 7 p.m. till almost midnight that night. Why would a bunch of teenagers stay in worship for that long? Because God showed up. I've seen it. Just earlier this year, we began to pray for a little baby named Ezra, and we were praying for him, and God healed him in an incredible way. There's no other explanation. God did that. I could go back to 2015 and say, when God opened the door for us to come here, Craig Pigan and other members of the search committee that were a part of that saw God open doors in incredible ways and unfold the story of giving us the opportunity to come and pastor here at Hardy Street. God did that. When God moves, the question for today is, what do you do? In our text, we see the earth shook. We, we see that which had them bound was loosed. 
So my question for you is, what do you do when God moves? When you see him move? Well, I think the answer to that question depends on your posture toward God. And what I want to do this morning is I want to talk to you about following God's guidance. When God does move in your life. I want you to begin to see that we are to listen for the voice of God and the promptings of the Spirit of God, and we as a church family need to have that kind of a focus, and individually as believers, we need to listen for God's guidance. Here in the book of Acts, we've met a man named Paul. Paul met Jesus Christ. He encountered him in an incredible way, and his life was radically transformed. And in that transformation, he began living for the Lord, serving the Lord, sharing the Lord. He began to plant churches and go on mission trips. In fact, I want you to do this with me. If you'll back up to verse 1 in chapter 16 for a moment, let's just get a little context of where we are in this prison story. We read in verse 1, Paul went first to Derby and then to Lystra, where there was a young disciple named Timothy. Now, part of the reason that I want you to see this is because it was not long before this, on Paul's first missionary journey, he had gone to Lystra. And for him to go to Lystra was pretty uh, bold and, and daring, and here's why. Look with me, if you will, on the screen, Acts chapter 14, verse 19. Some years before this, he'd been there to Lystra and to Derby, and it says this, But Jews came from Antioch and Iconium. Having persuaded the crowds, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing he was dead. Paul was stoned and beaten and thrown out into the garbage heap and left as though dead, and he went back to that very same place. Why would a man do that? I... I Think if I were Paul, I would say, you know, I'm not very inclined to go back to Lystra. I don't think I want to go to that city. We'll go around Lystra. We can go share the gospel somewhere else. Lystra is not a place that we need to go, but he did. I want you to see this. Sometimes God leads us in right opportunities to unlikely circumstances. Write that down somewhere. He leads us to the right opportunities in unlikely circumstances. You see, sometimes you and I see things from an earthly perspective with eyes that are clouded by comfort, and we don't see that God wants to do something unique in circumstances we would have never scripted. We would have never drawn up. It does not make sense that we would go to places like this where we'd met such hostility. It does not make sense that Elizabeth Elliot would go back to the same Aka Indians in South America that would kill her husband and his friends. It doesn't make sense. Yet in the economy of God, she has led scores of those people to Christ, and now there's a tribe of people that will be gathered around the throne in heaven. It does not make sense. I would be angry I would be vengeful I would want them to suffer as they have caused me suffering and yet in an unlikely circumstance God led what I'm asking you today is what do you do when you see God move because the response of Paul and Silas in prison for you and for me ought to be an incredible teaching tool it ought to be for us an incredible guy but Paul went back to Lystra. It's interesting, he not only leads us in unlikely circumstances, but I want you to see this. Look at verse 6 with me, if you will, for a moment. Now Paul and Silas traveled through the area of Phrygia and Galatia because the Holy Spirit had prevented them from preaching the word in the province of Asia at that time. You see, Paul had in his mind, this is where I want to go. 
But the Spirit of God stopped them. And listening to the Spirit, they went in a different direction. Here's what I want you to see. Sometimes God leads us to the right opportunities by hindering us from the wrong ones. Let me quote a great theologian named Garth Brooks. He said, sometimes I thank God for what? Unanswered prayers. Aren't you glad that God doesn't always answer things the way that you had asked for them? God's plans are so much bigger, and God stops us from our own stupidity. Somebody said that not long ago. They said, when God called you to be his child and to serve in his kingdom, he factored in your own stupidity, and that ought to bring great comfort to you. God can overcome our own ignorance, and I'm grateful for that in my own life. But Paul was stopped in his tracks and diverted in a different direction. He heard a Macedonian call, and he went to a different region of the world. Sometimes God will stop us from going in one direction. But why did you mention all this, Pastor? Because the question of the day is, what do you do when you see God move? You see, I'm afraid that we have been so clouded by comfort that we've lost sight of the voice of God. We've lost an understanding and a sensitivity to the movement of God. And I want the people of Hardy Street to be so sensitive to the movement of the Spirit of God that when He says go, they go. When He says stay, they stay. When He says whatever, we do whatever. We simply follow at His behest. And we see in this passage, Paul went to a place that would be unlikely because the Spirit led him there. Paul stopped in his tracks and went in a different direction because the Spirit told him to do so. And we see all of this movement, it boils down to trust. God continued to lead him. Verse 9 says this, just follow along in your text with me, I don't believe we've got this one. But that night Paul had a vision, a man from Macedonia, northern Greece was standing there pleading, come over to Macedonia. And help us. So we decided to leave for Macedonia at once, having concluded that God was calling us to preach the good news there. They got themselves into a little trouble. Let's follow along a little farther. Here, something unique happens. If you'll look with me for a moment uh, in verse 16. Let's read there, picking up. One day, as we were going down to the place of prayer, we met a slave girl who had a spirit that enabled her to tell the future. She earned a lot of money for her masters by telling fortunes. She followed Paul and the rest of us shouting, These men are servants of the Most High God, and they have come to tell you how to be saved. Even the demons witnessed, kind of interesting. It went on day after day until Paul got so exasperated that he turned and said to the demon within her, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her, and instantly it left. Well, you would think that's a good news story. Well, it created a problem for those who were making money. Verse 19, her master's hopes of wealth were now shattered, so they grabbed Paul and Silas, dragged him before the authorities in the marketplace. The whole city is in an uproar because of these Jews. They shouted to the city officials. They are teaching customs that are illegal for us Romans to practice. A mob forms there in verse 22. And they stripped them and they beat them with wooden rods. They were beaten and thrown into prison. And the jailer was ordered to make sure that they did not escape. So where did the jailer put them? Into the inner dungeon. And that picks up right where we were. All the way back to midnight. Paul and Silas are praising God. What would Scott and Scott be doing? Would we be praising God? I think we'd be saying, Lord, get us out of this mess. Lord, get us out of this jail. 
I, I don't know. I may be presuming on Scott Alexander's faith there. But I can tell you that your pastor would probably be saying, God, this is a mess and I don't want to be in jail. I don't like dark places. It's damp in here. We've been beaten. My back is bloodied. I'm hurting. I want to go home. The plan of God had led them to that region. Kind of interesting that you would see that background in light of the fact that they weren't there by mistake. God led them to that region. Oh, no, 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 Scott, God wants me to be happy and healthy. and He, I, I, he wants me to come to church and he wants me to give a little bit and serve. I, Brother Scott, I brought three boxes this year for Operation Christmas. Three of them. We, it was a stretch, I know, but it's just, nothing is just too good for me to give to the Lord. He's been so good to me. And we act as if God is so concerned with our happiness that we lose sight of the fact that God is concerned with our holiness. And God's desire for us is that we would have joy, which goes so far beyond happiness. God is not uh, sadistic. He doesn't want you miserable in this. And they're not miserable. Their life were filled with joy. And that shows me that they had something deeper than happiness. Because happiness is, I'm in a jail cell. How can I have joy? No, they said, I'm in Jesus, so I, how can I have anything but joy? And for you and for me, as we begin to see this, you, you see God moving. And what happens in our lives? Do you listen? Do you follow? Let me give you one more thought. Sometimes God leads us to the right opportunities through uncomfortable doors. It is always right to obey God. And it's always right to obey God right away. His timing is always perfect. He instructs us to do things at just the right time. And here it's midnight, and they're singing praises in prison, and God opens the door. You say, God, set them free. Actually, they were already free. But let me say that again. God didn't just set them free when the earthquake came. They were already free. He just opened the prison door so he could set the jailer free. You see, they were bound physically but freed up spiritually. And this man was completely free spiritually, but he was bound, or free, completely free physically, but bound up spiritually. He was lost. He was apart from God. And now we see God move. And we're, here's what happens. God always leads us to right opportunities for bigger picture purposes. God wants to do something through you, not just to you. And when you make it start and stop about you, then you lose sight of the fact that God wants to work through you as a channel of his blessing. And when he works through you as a channel of his blessing, he does things that you could never imagine on your own. Paul had no idea of this jailer in his household. He just knew we're going to praise God because God led us here. And since God led us here, we're going to make the best of it. And making the best of it doesn't mean we're just going to grit our teeth and bear it. It simply means we're going to praise God no matter what comes. Can I say this? When God moves, you will respond. I hear people say all the time on Monday afternoons, they said, Pastor, I just don't know how people didn't respond to that invitation. You preached a message on the gospel and nobody responded. I beg to differ. Everybody here responded. Your response, whether it's a non-response or it's a physical response, is a response. You respond to the movement of God and sometimes you respond 
in ways that are apathetic. And so do I. We all respond to the movement of God. My question is, are you sensitive enough to the Spirit of God to see it when it's happening? Sometimes we blame God for stuff that He never did, and then we try to ascribe to God things that He doesn't want for us, and then we beg of God to do something that would be totally contrary to His bigger picture purpose. What if they had prayed, God, just let us out of jail? If they were praying that, and why do you know that, Scott? How do you know they weren't praying that? Well, they didn't leave when the doors opened. They sat right there. And this drives home the point that I want us to see this morning for the next few moments. You see, you must respond. That's why we give an invitation every single service. I preach and I extend an invitation. And there are times people say, yes, I need to be saved. Yes, I need to talk to the Lord about some issues. Yes, I need to repent and return. But not always do people respond to the invitation, Pastor. Yes, they do. (laughs) Whether they move or not, you respond to the invitation of God. How did he respond? He drew his sword. He'd been given direct orders. Don't let them out. So he put them in the inner dungeon. He probably went and strapped on his sword. Maybe he didn't wear a sword all the time, but now this jailer's got a sword on and he's pacing around. This Philippian jailer, he can hear even some of the commotion. Well, I guess that's harmless. They're just singing. I don't know why they would sing in this nasty rat hole place that we put them in, but they're singing and the other prisoners are listening and he's just walking around. And the earthquake comes. When it does, the prison doors are open, and he doesn't care how they got open. He just knows they're open, and because they're free, I'm going to die. The authorities above me have given the sentence, and I'm going to die. Don't miss his response. I want you to see this. Here's one response that we often have. In response to what God has done, he decided to take matters into his own hands. That's the response of the lost and dying world around us. People that are undone. Some people try to take matters into their own hands. How many times have you come to that place? You know, i got to say this. It it drives me crazy. God will move in a service like this, and and you, for whatever reason, are not comfortable with what God's doing. You get up, and you fidget, and you move, and you go to the bathroom, and and all those kinds of things. And I'm not going to pick on anybody. Now nobody wants to move. But it drives me crazy because when we get to that place where we don't stop and listen to the voice of God, we take matters into our own hands. He's going to kill himself because he felt like he was going to die. He didn't understand the bigger picture either. I would say this. God moves and our initial thought is, what should I do now? Well, you didn't cause his work and you didn't initiate it. You don't have anything to do but to say, here am I, send me. God is big enough to move on his own, and he doesn't need your help. So when God begins to work, don't try to take things into your own hands. Maybe some of you walked into this place today, and you're in some financial crunch, or you're in a a physical crunch. You've gotten a health crisis, and in the midst of that health crisis, you're saying, i got to do something. Maybe the best thing for you to do is to sit and wait patiently on the Lord. Maybe the best thing that you can do is to seek godly counsel. Maybe the very best thing you can do is just to begin to praise the Lord and whatever that thing is that's come into your life will begin to diminish in its power over you. That's what happened there. They were not held by those chains. They were held in the grace of God. 
How do we do it? How do we take matters into our own hands? Well, he said, I don't want to be disgraced. I'm just going to kill myself. Here's how we do it. Write this down. We begin to look for options out of our situation. We begin to look for options out of our situation. How can I network my way out of this? How can I borrow my way out of this or beg my way out of this or steal my way out of this or connive my way? How can I figure out some way to to get past this problem? How can I work through this issue and I need to figure it out in some way? I know I can do it if I just put my mind to it. And he ultimately said, the only solution is for me to die. I'm I'm just going to kill myself. And Paul cries out to him, your options may be limited. Let me say this, your options may be limited, but God is limitless in his options. And he can do immeasurably more than we can ask, think, or imagine. Verse 28, Paul shouted to him, don't harm yourself. We are all here. Now, I would imagine in fluent, wonderful Greek, this Philippian jailer spoke out and said, what are you talking about, Willis? What do you mean you're all there? I mean, I'm a jailer. I've been doing this for a long time. Prisoners escape. That's what they do. They don't want to be held against their will. And the lights are out in the inner dungeon, and he's about to draw a sword and fall on it. And as he gets to that place, Paul says, no, 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 don't harm yourself. We're here. We're right here. What would you and I do? God? We were praising, and you opened the doors, and we're living, because it's about us. It's about me. You see, some of you in this room are clouded by comfort, and the reason I know that about you is because I know that about me. And there are times that a door of opportunity seems to have busted wide open. And the wise thing for me to do in my own mind is to run through it. But I need to stop. You see, they moved when the Spirit told them to move. But God didn't tell them anything else here. So they stayed right where they are. God opened the prison doors not to free them, but to free him. And in this process, he and his whole household came to faith and in fact it opens a door for Paul to ultimately make his way to Rome there's a bigger picture plan see there's an incredible paradox in moments like this when we listen to the Holy Spirit when you follow God's guidance it may lead you to a pit or a prison not just a palace it may lead you to hardship not happiness it may put you in a place of suffering and not eternal sunshine but in the midst of that there's a bigger picture greater plan and are you at the place where you would decide Do I trust God? That's what this whole thing boils down to. Do I trust God? Is God's plan best? Is God's plan wisest? Does God have good plan for me or harm plan for me? Does God have for me my best interest that is ultimately rooted and grounded in His purpose and His interest? If God only wants you to be healthy, happy, and wise, When your health fails or your happiness fades, you'll find yourself tucked tail and run. You'll find yourself turncoating on God and saying God didn't hold up his end of the deal. But God didn't promise health and happiness. He promised the ministry of his presence. He promised eternal life. 
who promised unending and inexpressible joy that goes deeper than any circumstance. There's a bigger picture. There's a bigger picture. Years ago, I had a friend. He called me. It's kind of funny. It was almost midnight. I got to his home, and I kid you not, he had a pistol in one hand and a Bible in the other. And he said, I'm going to find an answer in one of these two tonight. And I had the opportunity to lead my friend to the Lord. And it was an amazing thing. It was almost tangible. You could see heaven touch earth, and he trusted Jesus Christ. And as he did, he was right at this point of decision. Either I'm going to take matters into my own hands and do it my way. And the Bible is pretty clear. There's a way that seems right unto a man, but the end of that way is death. Or I'm going to find in these words the truth of what I've seen in your own life. He, he had seen the transformation in my heart when I came to Christ. I could have stayed there all night. I could have stayed there forever because God had moved. What I want to tell you is this. When God begins to move, don't move away. Move toward. Press in even further. They were praising and praying. And as they did, the chains were broken loose. And they said, we don't want to go anywhere. Response number two is very, very critical. And here's what I want you to see. Wait patiently on the Lord. Wait patiently on the Lord. That night in my friend's house, I felt God like I'd probably never felt Him before. I'd go back to that experience and, and, and all of the hurt that he felt. I, I, just to feel the presence of God like that again, I, I wish that I could have that again. But there they are, they're in jail, God's released them. They were in chains and now they're free, but I've said it before, they were free long before the jail cell opened and the chains fell off. They were free enough to praise and pray. And here's what I would say to you, you may want to write this down, you don't have to leave to be free. Some of you are trying to run from a situation right now, you're trying to run from God. And Jonah found himself in that case, and so many others found themselves in that case. A Adam and Eve, even in the beginning, hid themselves from the Lord God as if they could. You and I need to understand that we can stay right in the middle of a difficult circumstance when God is there. You know, we say, well, if I just quit, if I just change, if I just, what you're doing is taking matters into your own hands. And you're looking at your options with the attitude that say, my circumstances dictate my life. And if I'll change my circumstances, I'll change my life. When your response should be, when God moves, I'm simply going to stay. This man's response, the response of the lost man, undone. Some people try to take matters in their own hands, and some people simply rest in the hands of God. Look at verse 29. The jailer called for lights, rushed in, fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He brought them out and asked, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? I, I want you to see this result. When God moves and his people respond with faith, it affects people on the outside. If you're going to make a difference in the life of people in the pine belt and all around us, then it means that you will recognize the voice of God. You will respond by faith. You won't try to figure it out on your own. You'll follow after Him. And as you do, He will bless and it spreads. It says He woke up, He rushed in. He was hungry for that which He did not have. He called for light. I need to see this thing which has been told to me. What do you mean the prisoners are all here? He called for life and he ran in. He's never been around a group of people that would stay before. We've never had a crew of prisoners that would just sit tight. What's going on? Your life 
is different, and it will make a difference. He hungered for something he'd never tasted. He felt something he'd never felt. He ran in because he had never seen such. He trembled because he'd never been in the presence of God. In chapter 24, just a little later in the book of Acts, you don't have to turn there. Paul was in front of Felix, and he shared with him the gospel message. And the Bible says that Felix trembled, but he said, Go your way, and when I have a more convenient season, I'll call for you. When God moves in and when God moves, people fall under conviction. It is a fearful thing to be lost in the presence of a powerful God. And this Philippian jailer is there. He recognized the path of my life is death. And he called for light. It's kind of interesting to me. It's almost ironic. The jailer on his knees before the prisoners. Have you ever thought about that? Have you ever seen this scene? He's bowed down to them. He puts stripes on their back. And now he's bowing down. He puts stocks on their ankles. And now he's calling them sir. He had thrown them into a dungeon. And now he's running to their feet. Could it be that he'd recognize that they were ambassadors. And not just prisoners. Maybe if you and I would live and act more like ambassadors, people around us would want what we've got. But I'm afraid the sad fact is that most of us act like prisoners. You know, my friend that I talked about, how did he know what to ask? How did he know that a Bible was one solution? The Spirit of God had moved in his life. You know, we walk around scared to death to share our faith. But the Holy Spirit of God is illuminating people's hearts. There are people all around you. There will be people that you'll go to school with tomorrow. There will be people that you'll meet in a doctor's office tomorrow. There will be people that will go to lunch with you today that are lost and separated from God. And we act somehow like we're scared to offend them. What are you going to do? Are you going to offend them to hell number two? I mean, are you going to send them to some other place? I mean, there's no other option. The Bible says that those who have the Son have life, and those who do not have the Son are condemned already. You're not going to send somebody to some worse fate than separation from Christ. But Christ is illuminating in the hearts of people, and so you and I need to get busy sharing. As we consider this notion, why don't we just be obedient? What was Paul's response? Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Paul said, well, you need to go to church, and you need to get baptized, and you need to sign up to serve in the nursery, and you need to tithe. And No, he said, you need to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? He, he said, you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and you'll be saved in all your household. His household would have to be saved on their own, but he was simply saying, your faith will lead the others. If you're lost here today without Jesus, don't tell me how good your mama or your daddy were. Don't tell me that your grandfather was a preacher. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. And the results were pretty amazing. There was a, a transformation. He dressed their wounds. He fed them. He ministered to them. There will be results. If you did a little fruit inspection, you would see at that very hour there was change. When you get saved, you'll begin to minister. We ought not have a single need in our church. 
there ought to be somebody that would step up and say, I'll, I'll do that. I'll serve there. I'll minister there. And that goes to the point of all that I'm saying. And I'm going to wrap this up with, with a very simple list that I want to give you. Everybody uh, needs to write this down. Th- this man got saved. And he got baptized. Not to be saved. He got baptized because he was saved. Here's what I want you to see, though. Number one, learn the volume of God's voice. Learn the volume of God's voice. What do you mean, Pastor? God speaks in intimate, quiet ways. He speaks in subtleties. Now, I don't mean that every sunset or every sunrise, every blade of grass or flowers, God's speaking to you. But you begin to listen for the voice of God and say, God, speak to me. And He will. Listen for and learn the volume of the voice of God. Number two, learn the language and sound of His voice. Learn the language and the sound of His voice. What do you mean by that? The things that He says will never contradict the things that He has said. If God says something to somebody that's contrary to the Word of God, you listen to the Word of God every single time. God will not contradict Himself. So you begin to learn the language. Listen to His voice. And just because it doesn't lead you in a familiar, happy place, don't discount that as the voice of God. You see, the shepherd knows what the sheep need. And he'll lead and guide sometimes in unlikely places and through uncomfortable doors. The Holy Spirit will never contradict God's Word. Number three, I want you to see this. Learn this unwavering truth. It probably sounds familiar because I just said it. (laughs) He will never contradict His Word. And that's critical for you and for me. So what does that mean? If we're going to be a church that listens to the voice of God, we better be people of the book. We better spend time in the Word, studying together. I want to challenge you to get involved in a Sunday school class, get involved in a small group Bible study. And finally, number four, and this goes very, very clearly with that, learn to verify the Spirit's voice. There are all kinds of voices that will call out. There was a demon who witnessed... They're here to tell you how to be saved. Kind of interesting. I imagine there are all kinds of sounds in prison. I imagine there's belligerent cursing. I imagine there's excuses and rationalization as to why prisoners are there. In the middle of that prison, there was praise to God on high. Oh, that you and I would begin to praise the Lord in and through every circumstance. And we would verify His voice through the living out of our lives based on the foundation of the Word. And it would be transformational here, and it would make a difference there. You see, the Apostle Paul was thrown silently into this prison, but on the other side, if you read the rest of the story, he was able to plead his case because of being a Roman citizen, and it gave him a platform to share the gospel. And this jailer and his whole family met Christ, and others came to faith in Christ all throughout that region, in an unlikely place, through an uncomfortable door. If you and I wouldn't be clouded by comfort today, and we would say, God, wherever you lead, I'll go, it would make an incredible impact for all eternity. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this day. God, even now I pray that your people would respond. Everyone will respond, but Lord, I pray they would respond positively, that they would listen for your still small voice, And they would follow. God, if there's someone here today that is asking that same question, they've tried to find options for life, but they look and they say, I don't know what to do. 
what must I do to be saved? God, I pray that you would save them today. I pray that you would move in powerful ways. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, everybody look this way for a moment. We're going to sing, and as we sing, this is a time to respond. And your response may be to come to the altar and pray and say, Lord, just clean out my ears spiritually. I want to hear you. I want to be sensitive to your spirit. Maybe God's moving in your life through a difficult circumstance, and your first inclination is to run. Just sit still. Wait patiently. Maybe you need to come to the altar and pray. Members of our staff and other members of our church are here. We call them encouragers. They would love to just pray with you. If you need to pray with someone, you come. If you need to be saved today, if you need to trust the Lord for eternal salvation, you come and let them share with you how that can be possible in your life. But let's together stand and sing and respond.